Today's episode of The Andy Staples Show is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks at any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to staplesshow.robinhood.com. That's staplesshow, all one word, .robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not an investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on an uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Staples Show Super Bowl edition. Wait, wait, this is a college football show. Why are we talking about the Super Bowl? Well, all these guys did play in college, and specifically, there was one guy who's playing in the Super Bowl who was absolute magic in college, except we didn't quite know how that would translate to the NFL. Well, it turns out it is translated really well. Pat Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL right now. He's going to try to win his first Super Bowl. And a guy who covered him very extensively throughout his college career is our very own Bruce Feldman. And Bruce had an incredible story this week in The Athletic talking to people who were around Texas Tech at the time that Patrick Mahomes was there with a bunch of behind-the-scenes stories and, and just kind of showing you the evolution of him going from a, a prospect that wasn't really considered a can't-miss high school to college prospect to a guy who was not considered necessarily a can't-miss college-to-pros prospect to what you see today, which is maybe the guy who is changing the way quarterback has played in the NFL. Hey, Bruce, how you doing? I'm doing good, Andy. It's uh, You know what? He was a fun guy to watch, for, especially on some pretty mediocre teams. But uh, this was a fun story to work on just because I knew I was going to get some crazy stuff because there is an element of Patrick Mahomes that was like – a little bit Bunyan-esque because of his arm talent is so crazy and his athleticism is is so rare. And, but I didn't know the stories I was going to get, and I got a couple of them that were just kind of like mind-blowing, to be honest. I was so happy that you talked to Nick Shimanek, who was uh, quarterback at, at Texas Tech at the same time as Mahomes. He was the starter the year after Mahomes left, I believe, right? Am, am I wrong on that? Am I getting the time You are off? correct. You yeah. are correct. Iowa okay. transfer came so, in there, sat out the year, and got to, as he told me, do some funky stuff with the no looks. And he was like, I'm throwing no look five-yard slant routes. And Pat's like, wait a minute. Let me try to do this. And he's throwing it deep downfield and in games on third and 20. Crazy. It, it's unbelievable because that's what I – that I didn't know that part. I knew I knew Shimanek had, had – helped him a little bit with some stuff I did not realize he was the the genesis of the no look stuff I just remember when Cliff Kingsbury put out on Twitter the practice film of Mahomes throwing no look passes in practice and I thought I have never seen anything like this before in my life what's crazy is so so Shimanek remembered the exact situation 
on the third and 20. Now, he thought there was a little less time left. There was four minutes left. Uh, they were on the road in Stillwater, and they were down seven points. Um, and it was a like it was not hard to find. I mean, I, I did a Google search, and there it was. And our buddy Tim Brando was the announcer. That was a crew I normally was with that season, but I was in Austin that day for a different game. And... I said to Tim after, I was like, you know, you called the probably the first no-look pass of Pat Mahomes' career in a game. Um, now, I don't think Tim knew it because when you're looking, especially from the press box, I don't think you can tell until you're really looking for it. Oh, my God, his head is going in, a, is it going in one direction. The ball's actually going in another. But uh, it was just as, as Shimanek described it. It was... It hit the uh, receiver right in between the numbers. They end up scoring a touchdown a little bit later. And then in what kind of was vintage Texas Tech fashion, they lose the game because the kicker misses the PAT to, to avoid overtime. Yeah, I I think that was – there's so many of those where he had an unbelievable game and they lost. And I think that probably colored our opinion of him as he went into the NFL draft because, remember, he was in the same draft – as Deshaun Watson, who was considered the can't miss. And then you had Mitch Trubisky, who was the guy that all the NFL people were were high on and all the people who watched college football were like, wait, you want to draft the guy who couldn't beat Marquise Williams out? But the the Watson thing, I mean, Watson was the guy we all thought would be great, no problem, translates perfectly. Mahomes, it was like, okay, he's got this high ceiling, but – has any air raid quarterback ever succeeded in the NFL? Not yet, and certainly not to this degree. And I think one of the things that was kind of confounding for a lot of people, and, you know, talking to guys who coached at Tech, like Jake, uh, Jake Spavital's brother Zach was, is now the defensive coordinator with him at Texas State, and he comes with David Gibbs to be the linebacker's coach. And he's like, why are we moving all the spring practices around the baseball schedule? Is like, this kid really that good? And... Then he realizes, oh, my God, he's doing some amazing stuff. And when you talk to people who coached him or recruited him for Tech, the biggest thing they said is all this crazy stuff he did, you're like, okay, well, that's not going to be able to translate into games. And I think, Andy, and I remembered this pretty clear. This is not in my story, but this was something. I remember being at the Combine. It was a Saturday night, the night before I left to, to come home. And I went out for drinks, and I was talking to a guy who was a, an NFL quarterback guy um, and was a rising star coach, and he was very skeptical of Pat Mahomes. He didn't think he was going to be able to play quarterback in the NFL and do what he has, you know, to some degree what he's done for when he was in Lubbock and talking to people in that group. And, and Davis Webb, I think, had an interesting perspective because – and at one point, Cliff Kingsbury thought Davis Webb was going to be a top 10 pick. And he was the guy with, you know, 6'4 and a really good arm and a coach's kid and, and all those things. And he's, a, you know, he's on the Bills roster now as a backup. But that was the guy who gets hurt and got hurt a couple of times Mahomes' freshman year. And then Mahomes basically overtakes him. He shines in that Baylor game. And then Davis sees it. And at that point... You know, Cliff had said, and, and we did a game where it was at Kansas. It was, I think it was David Beatty's first year, and that was a god-awful Kansas team. It was like an 11 a.m. local kick, and Tech looks awful, and Patrick didn't look very good. And I remember thinking, all right, they're going to put Davis in and and take this game over, and they never did. 
And I found out later on, Cliff had basically told Pat Mahomes, hey, I'm, you're my guy. I'm sticking with you, and I'm not wavering on it. And true to his word, that's what happened. And I think talking to, to Davis Webb about this, he goes, you know, I kind of knew all along if he gets in the NFL uh, and if he gets around the right offensive coordinator and they just let him play and they don't try to turn him into some kind of robot, let him be and let him do what he does best, I think he's going to be really special. And he was right. And, you know, it's been it's been a fun ride. And, I mean, I think he's, like you said, I think he's changing the way people see the quarterback position right now. You mentioned that 2014 Baylor game, which is another one of those games that they lost. But he was amazing. I think he contributed like – did he throw for 600 yards? It was 600 yards of total offense. He threw for 598. Obscene. Yeah, 598 and yeah. six touchdowns. Yeah, and – so that was the game that Jarrett Stidham, who was committed to Texas Tech, had come to the game. And suddenly, a few weeks after that game, Jarrett Stidham wasn't, wasn't committed to Texas Tech anymore because uh, Mahomes was a freshman, and it didn't look like there was going to be room for Stidham to start. Yeah, I mean, Jason Reed, who's now a car salesman in Lubbock selling Infinities, had told me that story, and it was about two weeks later where Stidham decommits. What's interesting is, so I got sent there to, to Lubbock in August of that season. Mahomes had only been there a month or so. And I got there on a Monday, and I was there for Fox. We were going to do a video piece and a TV piece on, on uh, Cliff. And so they were watching scrimmage film from the day before. And I'm watching him like, whoa, Pat Mahomes kid, man. He is he is lighting this defense up. And I remember thinking, I asked Cliff about him, and Cliff kind of kind of downplayed it a little bit. And in my head, I remember thinking, I wonder if he's doing that because at the time Jared Stidham was the biggest recruit Texas Tech had probably maybe ever gotten, at least of the of the star system, you know, recruits. And so I remember thinking, well, maybe they're doing that because they don't want to scare off scare off uh, Stidham. In reality, then the more I thought about it, I was like, well, maybe they just realized their defense is horrible. And, you know, when I asked a couple of guys on the staff, they were like, well, it's probably a combination of the two. I think they knew how bad the defense was, but I think that was the time. And sure enough, uh, when I talked to Cliff, and we were texting uh, maybe two nights before this story ran about that day, about, wow, we have something. It was that scrimmage, and it was like five touchdown passing. He goes, he, I don't even think he really knew what the offense was. He was just going out and making plays. It was just like high school, and he had told me. It was like, you know, it's almost like made you question the way you coach people when you saw how he operated. And so, um, you know, there were moments of that, and I think when people read the story in The Athletic, there are some anecdotes in there about stuff he did at practice which guys who spent their lives in football had never seen anything like what he could do. Well, let's talk about him in high school because uh, you, you open with an anecdote that the Trey Haverty, who was the, the safeties or outside linebackers coach at Tech at the time, he's now at SMU, but he goes to a game and Mahomes plays for White House and he's playing against Mesquite Poteet. I just like saying Mesquite Poteet, but basically Malik Jefferson's team. Malik Jefferson, who went on to play at Texas, uh, they had some other really good players on that team too. Uh, DeAndre McNeil was on that team. So that's where they they say, okay, this is a guy. But at the time, he didn't have any Power 5 offers, right? He didn't. I mean, you go back to the A&M days when Cliff was there, and you remember their old O-line coach, B.J. Anderson, 
um, who's now out of coaching, but he had gone there because I think that's uh, he's from East Texas and came back and was like, oh, I'm an O-line guy. Let me show <laughs> Cliff, you may want to take a look at this guy. And Cliff loved him. Um, and this was – but then Cliff moved on, obviously, as you remember that time. That was Johnny Football era when he's winning the Heisman and, and the, the – um, the end of of Tommy Tuberville in Lubbock, and so in comes in comes Cliff, and you got to remember what that quarterback room was like when that first year. It wasn't just Davis Webb; it was obviously Baker Mayfield, and um, I want to say Robert Brewer, but that's not. It's uh, Michael Brewer. Michael Brewer, who ended up going to Virginia Tech. Thank you. And so you had all this, and then you got this one guy who has just ungodly talent and just they don't know exactly how it fits and Trey Haverty is looking at it going he's doing some remarkable stuff and this is you know this is a guy that I think it takes Cliff who obviously was a quarterback in that system and is very very creative as a play caller and as a as an offensive scheme guy to go okay let me work with this and I I think it's just an interesting interesting um kind of time in Lubbock where you had this guy and in some ways I think it helped and it hurt that they were so bad on defense because because they were so bad on defense I think he probably didn't get the credit he deserved but also because they were so bad on defense he was in games like the game against Baker where it was you know 2,000 yards of offense because they were constantly shootout games and because the offensive line probably wasn't that great you know, they had, they had decent skill guys. I mean, DeAndre Washington was there. He's probably one of the best running backs Tech has had uh, there. But they, you know, the offensively, I mean, they were going to be in shootouts all the time. So I think the aspect of I got to answer every touchdown, I think that only probably fed into to Patrick's, Patrick's kind of playmaking uh, spirit, if you want to call it that. So as a kid who watched 140 140- – to 150 Cubs games a year on WGN from 1985 through about 1992, I was very familiar with Pat Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes' dad. And so I remember when when he was being recruited, I was like, oh, my God, Pat Mahomes' kid's a quarterback. Wow. But is he going to play baseball? Wasn't baseball kind of a, a the thing that was on the outside that, that kind of kept some people away, even though what they saw on the football field was undeniable? Yeah, and in talking to uh, to their recruiting coordinator, that is the kind of thing that they looked back and go, hey, we love the film. Why aren't more people buzzing about it? And they thought, okay, for the reasons like you said, famous dad, baseball prospect, you know, he was very good at that. They, you know, through in the mid-90s, they thought that's the direction he was going to go. And I think ultimately they didn't really probably know what was in in that kid's heart as a as a quarterback and what he wants to do and so I think you know this is one of those times where not just the recruiting analysts but the the colleges just missed because they you know I think they looked at it and saw all this unconventional stuff and like ah, I don't know if this is really going to translate because sometimes it doesn't translate you know Andy we've we've both seen guys now the thing with Patrick is He's a big dude. I don't think people realize he's 6'3", 230, 235. It's not like uh, he was 5'11", 185 running around there. I mean, he was he's a big, tough kid, tough to bring around, and made all the crazy throws. But I think the baseball piece probably did 
um, deflect stuff in a way that bec- maybe if he was at a, at a high school that had won more consistently, maybe they would have looked differently. I, I don't know exactly why they're, why more football people, because it's not like he's the first guy. Obviously, we got a Kyler Murray who, you know, was at this powerhouse program winning everything in the state of Texas, but it was a, people knew him as a baseball prospect, and he was certainly much, much smaller in stature. I mean, there were guys well, like what, that. If Mahomes plays at Allen High, which is where Kyler Murray played, I would think it would be different, though. I would, I would think too. it would yeah. not matter. There, there'd be this massive crush. He'd have been a five-star recruit. Now, it's interesting you bring up his size because I do think without the baseball piece of it, there would have been a lot more coaches who would have taken one look at him and gone, okay, we're going we're gonna to put you in our offense. We're going to run you 20 times a game as well. And that would have been a disservice to the guy because he just needs to be back there throwing. So it, it's funny, but that the baseball scaring everybody off – wound up getting him into the perfect situation it feels like it it did and also like Kingsbury and Haverty both really were enamored that he was the three-sport guy and that he wasn't the guy going to all the quarterback camps and so it was almost and I feel like you know there are a lot of coaches now who want a guy who's not just a quarterback guy and they want somebody who – and it's not to say that, look, I mean, I think Dwayne Haskins was one of those guys who was primarily the quarterback guy, and it certainly has worked out really well for him. It's not to say that it, do, it doesn't work out for the guy who may not be, you know, Sam Darnold or something who's a really good basketball player. And, and certainly Patrick was that guy, really good basketball player, really good baseball player, and obviously a great football player. But I think that – Kingsbury looked at it and thought, okay, this is what I think is going to – is going to work for me. Remember, like, you know, he just had Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel was a really good baseball player. So I think that, I think Cliff's mindset is, I want a guy who's going to bring something to the table and that that competitiveness, that playmaking savvy, I think that's going to translate. And he certainly did. Yeah, you, you know who's a better baseball player than all these guys? Kyler Murray. Who's that? Kyler Murray. Better baseball oh, player absolutely. than all these guys. Yeah, took absolutely. him number one overall. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know who wasn't a Cubs fan, though, Bruce, growing up? Who who I I don't think watched a lot of WGN when he was growing up in Nepean, Ontario? That's Jesse Palmer. I'm going to (laughs) play you a clip that you embedded in your story from the first game Mahomes got into. Uh, They were playing Oklahoma State. They were losing. It was in Stillwater. Uh, Did not go very well. But here here is the introduction to the world of Patrick Mahomes by one Jesse Palmer. It's true freshman Patrick Mahomes. Now here's my question. Does Jesse get a check from that insurance company for helping create the Mahomes ads with Aaron Rodgers? He probably should. Um, Credit to Kenny Bell, who's with Cliff on uh, on the Cardinal staff now, who remembered that and... In that, it was like probably the worst first series any college, any you know, great college quarterback ever had, and I think it kind of shows of of that. And I think you know you can tell from listening to more of the broadcast. I went back and listened. It was like Reese Davis clearly knows who how to pronounce the name, you know, and son of a. Well, yeah. Know, if if you grew up in America and you're a certain age and you were a sports fan, you you yeah. knew who Pat Mahomes was because he was a reliever for the Cubs. So apparently, yeah, yeah that, he never. <laughs> 
if he was on the if he was on the Blue Jays or the or the Expos, which I think he was though. Uh, maybe later in his career, I'll have to check his uh, have to check his bio, but. I just remember when he came into the majors because he was a flamethrower. He was kind of had like a 96 to 98 mile an hour fastball. He wasn't a closer. I think the Cubs had Mitch Williams at the time, but he was kind of a setup man. And uh, I, come I in stand and just corrected, Andy. He was never on the Expos. He never was north of the border. Less Expos. I don't think Jesse would have watched that. He would have been more of a Blue Jays guy. Uh, I don't think he would have gone with the poutine eaters uh, of Montreal. But, yeah, it, it, I – Watch that series because you embedded that whole clip into your story, and it is it, you're, it's truly awful. I mean, he should have thrown a pick six on third down, and the, they show the sideline, and it's one of those Cliff Kingsbury has this, this hiding his face. Everybody on the sideline is looking down like, uh, uh, I don't want anything to do with this right now. But to their credit, they stuck with it. That was not the end of, of his story. No, and I, I look. I mean, there was a couple of play. One of the one of the anecdotes that didn't make it in was by uh, Matt Brock, who's now on Leach's staff at, at Mississippi State. And I go, "When's the moment you knew he was?" I asked him the question. "When's the moment you knew Patrick was really special?" And he's like, "We played Texas, and he gets knocked out." And I was like, "There wasn't much more than I watched the clip." Quan Diggs just obliterates him to the point where Patrick is like you know, being helped up and you could tell the lights are on, nobody's home kind of thing. And that was like, it was a eventful, like four or five games he got in his freshman year. Like there was the Oklahoma state game, which is the one we took the first Oklahoma state game, which is the Jesse Palmer introduction. Uh, He did very well against Oklahoma. Then Texas knocks him out and then he plays Baylor and, um, at that point, you know, he goes off when Baylor's really good, and he, I think they were down 41 to 17, and he leads them back, and they almost win the game. So, it uh, he packed a lot of football into a relatively short amount of time, and he honestly packed a lot of stuff in there. It's just, I think the to me the funnest part of the story was some of the stuff I had no idea I was going to hear about, and those were the things he's great at. The other sports his that ping, have nothing his to ping do pong with. prowess. His, his ping pong prowess. prowess is, yeah, according to Nick Shimanek, he basically was saying, I think he can hit a golf ball 400 yards. Um, and then uh, Hunter Riddiman is a name I honestly didn't remember as a player. He was a third-string guy who's now on the UTSA staff. And he's in the car. When I get him on the phone, he's in the car with one of the fellow coaches. And he starts telling me the story about, him hitting a wiffle ball and how far Patrick Mahomes can hit a wiffle ball. And I'm like, that's impossible. And he's like, it's really windy in Lubbock. He hit it, he hit it over the three story dorms and it just kept carrying. And, um, I don't know. It's, it, at the end, he said something very profound and he goes, if somebody tells you something about Patrick and you think it's not believable, you probably want to believe it, you know? So it, it, it is amazing, and the one thing I think that, that is truly amazing is after years and years of NFL coaches complaining, the guys we're getting from college don't have the right skill sets, I feel like he has now changed everyone's mind on that, where why not just create an offense that caters to his skill set instead of you know shoehorning him in, and maybe he needed to, to wind up with Andy Reid, Maybe they needed to have Alex Smith that first year so he didn't get thrown in and just 
murdered by NFL defenses, but it feels like it has all worked out in a way that has opened the minds of the rest of the league. Yeah, and I mean, he's surrounded by guys with a ton of speed. You know, they whether they draft Nicole Hardman or they obviously had Tyreek Hill. I mean, they've had really good offensive line. I mean, certainly Andy Reid's creative. I mean, he went into the perfect situation. And even, like, I remember talking to to Veach, the GM there, who's basically the guy who kind of really was one of the first NFL believers in him. And they talked about how, you know, Alex Smith, and it was like an incubation system to get him ready. And I think also some of that is is Patrick's temperament and his his humility and all that. And those are the things that, honestly, some of the guys in the story I talked to from Tech, that's one of the reasons why they root for him so much is just because there's really no entitlement with him, and he's still very much a kid in this. It's interesting because I think if Patrick doesn't do what he does – Cliff Kingsbury doesn't get hired in the NFL. Kyler Murray's not a number one draft pick. Uh, I, I don't think people are as willing to to take quarterbacks out of that offense because previously it had been, oh, well, they can't adjust. They can't run an NFL offense because they can't remember the play calls and they don't know how to take a snap from under center. Now it feels like everything's flipped where they say, okay, you were good at all this. We're going to make this offense work with what you do. Yeah, and I think that's that has like a really carryover effect from all the air raid guys. I mean, even to some degree with Leach and you know, I'll have Gardner Minshew and I think there is that system QB kind of detriment before. I think it's changed. I really do. And I, I think that just like if Kyler thrives and Baker Mayfield, you know, bounces back and has you know, kind of looks like he did more as a as a rookie than maybe what happened last year. I think that's on, that only going to open more people's eyes to, hey, if the guy can make plays, we're going to find a way to make this work because it's such a game in space still. And, you know, I think Cliff's ability to kind of do stuff with that, um, just the idea of a guy who got fired in Lubbock and then was on the USC staff for a little bit and then gets a – a head coaching job in the NFL, I think it shows that there are people there that are very intrigued by it. And and at the end of the day, it's like, you know, people, offense offense does sell tickets. And I think that that's something that people are very, very interested in. I'm wondering who the next beneficiary of this is going to be in terms of, you know, which quarterback is really going to, to take advantage of this and they're going to build around him. Because, you know, Tua Tagovailoa played in a system that's probably a little more comfortable for NFL people. Joe Burrow played in an NFL system that Joe Brady had brought from the Saints. Uh, maybe Justin Herbert, who played in a more classically college offense. You know, maybe maybe somebody figures out how best to use him. And yeah, I mean, but I think it's like in terms of skill set, he's prototype where he's, you know, 6'6", 230, and he's really smart, and he's – He's played a bunch now. I don't know who the wild card guy is who's in something where, you know, if you look at the guys now, I mean, Justin Fields is, plays for a guy who spent time as an NFL offensive coordinator in Ryan Day. And certainly, you know, what you see in, in Trevor Lawrence looks like what the NFL uh, NFL prototype is. Is there that maybe guy? It's, maybe it's Khalil Tate. Yeah, maybe. I mean, to me, that one, I don't feel like it's trending in that direction for him personally. But you know what? Yeah. Maybe it'll go that way. 
I mean, I don't know who the quarterback is right now who's the guy. Like, if you look at Sam Ellinger, he is feels like more of a throwback to, to 20 years ago in terms of kind of, you know, what they what he's you know, as a running quarterback and everything, a little bit like, like, like Tebow-esque. So I don't know yeah. if it's, you know, if anybody looked and said, oh, could Tim Tebow have been accurate enough to really do some of the things that some of these quarterbacks are now doing, and I don't, I don't know if well, that's the if that's the answer. I, I think another piece of it is a lot of colleges that would not have run offenses that looked anything like the air raid are now much more comfortable with throwing the ball forty plus times a game. You know, Alabama, prime example, the last few years. It, it looked, LSU, the lines are so blurred do. now. Yeah, the lines are so blurred now. Here's one I thought of today, Andy, is, and again, I don't know the answer to this, but it, it dawned on me, it's a, it, was a, it was a really good college quarterback that you and I both saw um, in the late 90s who was a terrific college player but did not have the ideal height. Like if Joe Hamilton comes out now, oh my people God, he would have. what are we doing with yes! Joe Hamilton here? Absolutely. That's, I, I remember seeing Joe Hamilton in a bar in Atlanta, and it was like, the the whole place just collapsed in on him. He was he was a superstar at Georgia Tech, and you're right. He was he came along at a time when nobody in the NFL would have sniffed him, but now absolutely, people somebody would have built an offense around the guy. Yeah, I remember doing a story on him for the magazine. He was a he was a great basketball player, five ten ish, you know. But he lit up. I remember him just torching Florida State when Florida State was loaded with talent. And again, I don't know how his game would have translated in this day and age, you know, because he wasn't very big. I feel like he was, I don't know if he was the same size as Kyler. He didn't run as fast, I don't think, and I don't think he had quite as much juice in his arm. But, man, he was really good in college. Yeah, I, I think it's it's just exciting to see because I just enjoy – the way things have flipped. I think Justin Fields may be the next guy that really benefits from all this because, you know, you, you kind of saw it at Georgia where he was in an offense where they they wanted it to be a certain way. It wanted, you know, they wanted it to be kind of that pacing and uh, play action, and they didn't huddle at Georgia, but it was closer to what you see in the NFL than you see in most college offenses. So he couldn't overtake Jake Fromm in that offense he goes to Ohio State where they, they cater to his skill set and he blows up. Now if some NFL team does that, I think he could be the one who really, really benefits from that. Yeah, and look, he has obviously great physical size and athleticism, and he's got, I don't know, he may have the best collection of receivers in 2020 in college football too, so I think you're right on there. Well, it, it's going to be fun. I, I just, I, I'm glad that the NFL has come around. I'm really glad that Patrick Mahomes – is in the Super Bowl because if he can win a Super Bowl and if Lamar Jackson can lead the Ravens to to the number one seed in the playoffs, that sort of thing shows those people in the NFL, hey, this stuff people are running in college, it's not a joke, it's not stupid, it's not dumbed down. They're doing it because it works. You know, college coaches get fired just as quick as NFL coaches. They do this stuff because it scores points. And that's 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 matters more than anything. And look, I think because of as we talked about a minute ago, what happened with LSU and that kind of offense, I think 
people are gonna people are gonna be more open to it if they were reluctant to it before. Which, for me, as someone who prefers the college game, obviously, it has made the NFL a much more watchable product for me. I really enjoyed watching the NFL last year and especially this year. I, I feel like the games are more fun to watch. Uh, there's more scoring. Uh, you you don't really know going in what's going to happen, and I think this tonal shift, which I think Mahomes has a lot to do with, has made it a much more interesting game. And uh, I realize it was already the most popular sport in America, but guess what? I wasn't watching it. Now I am. So I think there's probably some other people it's helping bring into the tent too. Yeah. I mean, look, if again, I don't know what's going to be in Cleveland, but just you think about three great college quarterbacks that we've seen a lot of in the last few years. You know, one won a Heisman, the other two, you know, were put up huge numbers. One won a national title between Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, and Patrick Mahomes. I mean, these the next wave of quarterbacks with, you know, some of these other Tom Brady, Drew Brees guys in their 40s now. Um, I feel like the game is the game is in good shape right now because it's so exciting and what these guys can do. I, I think you're right. Bruce, enjoy the Super Bowl. I uh, wish you were here. I'd cook you some wings. That would, you know what, Andy? I, I'm sure I would eat better in in, uh, in Florida than I will here in LA on Super Bowl Sunday. But um, I think it's going to be a fun one. I, I'm really excited to see to see uh, two quarterbacks who really were not, you know, they were not the the five star ish kind of guys or whatever. They were off the radar guys who blossomed into into franchise guys. So I think it's going to be fun. Oh, it's going to be fun, and, and if, if Garoppolo wins, we're going to have to get Dino Babers on the phone. I want to hear the speech that Dino <laughs> Babers gives if his guy wins the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, look, it could happen. I mean, I think we're, we're one step away from that, and I'm sure Dino has something prepared just in case. Yeah. All right, Bruce Feldman, thank you so much. We will talk to you soon. Thanks, Andy. That's it for today. Thanks so much to Bruce Feldman for joining us. Enjoy the Super Bowl, even if you're just watching it for the commercials. And remember, if you go to a Super Bowl party, tell all your friends to subscribe to The Andy Staples Show. Completely free. We'd like if you left a review. Preferably five stars. But, you know, speak your own truth. It's cool. We're good with that. Also, tell your friends they need to subscribe to The Athletic. If they do it now... 40% off the first year. Best sports writing on the planet. They'll get deeper into the Super Bowl than they could have ever imagined if they subscribe Sunday night and start reading Sunday night and Monday morning. Have fun. Don't do anything I wouldn't. And we'll talk to you on Monday.